Hey, Teresa. Yes, Travis? Where did the kitten go on its field trip? I figured it out, but I'm going to let you say it. To the Meowseum. <laughs> it's Tranners. Host Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Good morning, my dove. Good morning, dear. How are you? I'm I'm as well as can be expected. I think I think it's time. I think the baby is teething. She was doing this thing last night, just as long as we're talking about BB, and I'm so glad that we are. Last night, um, we put her down for bed and she you could see her in the video monitor. She was just lying in bed going, ba 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 ba. Just singing, you know. Yeah. Hi, Bibi. You might hear her off in the corner. She's got a jingly ball thing. Um, and she'll probably start talking. So this is Schmanners. Um, we talk about extraordinary act for we, but we did that. I am trying it. to recap the point. <laughs> so we talk about the history of manners, but also how they still apply to the modern day, and we answer some of your questions. Um, now this week you um picked the topic. I uh, did. Um, enlighten us. Museums. Museum. Museum for cats. <laughs> well, so I picked this topic because I wanted to uh, go to something. Um, something old, but also something that we do today. And, you know, school's out for a lot of people. And this is a place where people flock to during the summer for ha- to have something to do while the schools are out. I also imagine that uh, uh, much like a lot of topics we cover, there's probably... Well, no, there definitely is. There's such a variety of type of museum. There are, you know, incredibly interactive museums to like incredibly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Restricted as far as like, yeah, your your interaction with the thing. Um, And so I, I imagine it's probably pretty hard to speak. So we'll be speaking in generalities a lot of the museum. Right. Um, somebody asked if we were going to include zoos in this too. I think that that might convolute way too much. Right. I think zoos are, are another another. Yeah, we'll episode. keep it to museums for now. Um, but I'm sure that this is a topic that has just a, a ton of of history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if we don't talk about specific museums, the origin of the museum is pretty much the same. Um, so it comes from the Greek word museion, uh, which means seat of the muses. So these, um, these temples in, in Greek time, ancient Greek times, uh, were built to the goddesses, the muses, right? Mm -hmm. The, the goddesses of, uh, nature and science and arts and things like that. Usually inspiration of yeah. those things right, right. Yeah. yeah inspiration in art inspiration in science inspiration like that where, music, where your ideas like come from yeah exactly um and so it's the, it's the women in hercules the sing the song <laughs> you know you, you know, know the ones you know those so uh in these temples who put the glad gladiator you know the song uh, yeah right the yes. muses okay yes you know hercules in these temples uh 
they they would display all of these um, these arts and artifacts and um, things that were quote inspired by the muses. So they they became kind of um, almost a a tribute, right? A living tribute, and um, people were encouraged to go and to look and to add and get in like get inspiration and and create um so then once the the romans uh come it gets moved to a museum right uh which is a little different at that time so instead of a temple and kind of you know the celebration of all of these things it turns into more more like places of philosophical discussion. Okay. So there's there's this kind of research and discussion and library aspect okay. almost. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so like the museum at Alexandria is kind of more known for its library, right? But it also... Isn't a library just a museum for books? See, I mean, really, when you think of that was the sound of our audience's minds being blown. Blown. Except I guess a library is like a museum for books where you're allowed to take the artworks home (laughs) and forget to bring them back. I would like to check out this Picasso, please. All right. Have it back in seven days. There are still a lot of museums that are research museums. And um, that's how that's how a lot of museums make their um, make their monies, get their grants, things like that. Um, I remember growing up in Dayton, Ohio, there's a museum called the Boonshaft, uh, which was super cool. First of all, they had a planetarium, which is awesome for any museum. Yes. Well, uh, let's give a shout out to COSI. Yeah. For, for that matter. Oh, the Columbus Science. Oh. So awesome. Love COSI so much. Um, but a lot of, oh, a, but one of the things that they did at the Boonshaft is they absolutely did aerospace uh, research. And and that was one of the the cool things about that museum, and, and a lot of museums around the country do that. I'm I'm reminded of the uh, La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah, museum, I remember that one. We um, went to a couple where times. it is both like you can go and see what's been found and learn about the history of like the the stuff recovered from the tar pits, but it is also actively um, they are still researching the tar pits and and you know excavating stuff and researching the tar pits, and you can watch them like do that it's so it's a combination of what's on display but also watch them actively working to uncover more stuff right um so back to roman times although libraries although libraries were um were sort of the museums of the time there weren't really public viewing houses of artifacts a lot of things at this time were um property of royals Mm -hmm. um so you had kind of private homes collecting all of these different materials and that that would be something that continues up until like the early 18th century so after ancient greek and roman times um collecting as it is in any of these antiquities really becomes the duty of the rich Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it's weird. I, it just occurred to me how weird it is to think about, like, the Greek and Ro- you're talking about Greek and Roman, you know, museums of sorts. Mm-hmm. So much of the stuff we have in our museums now is from those people. So what were they like? I guess we should just put our own stuff in here. <laughs> well. You have to think that uh, the Greek and Roman times were interested in collecting contemporary things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was time. I'm not, I don't think time started at the <laughs> Greek and Roman. Don't get me wrong. It's just like now you go to museums and you're like, oh, look, this statue dates back to Roman times. <laughs> right, right. But like I said, uh, it really becomes the duty of the rich and the idea of a museum that people could go to pretty much disappears until the renaissance you end up with collectors yeah you end up with collectors but it disappears until the renaissance uh you know the the dark ages the medieval times it's just not something that that people do even in churches which is the central sort of unifying factor of of those ages um it's not really for the public it's for a, a dedicated few I wonder, and I, uh, there's probably historians that could answer this question for me, but I wonder if if it's a chicken and egg situation where if it's like these artifacts weren't displayed because people weren't interested in history or facts or science or art, or were people not interested in history and facts and science and art because these artifacts weren't being displayed. You know what I mean? Like That's an interesting question. Um, I also think that they were probably really concerned with like the day-to-day of every life, everyday life. Um, it, the medieval times, dark ages, I mean, it was hard for, yeah. for a lot of people. Hey, you heard it here first, folks. It was the hard. The dark ages, <laughs> it was hard. Really hard. People were more preoccupied, I think, with staying alive. You know, plague. Plague. Food Basic eating, stuff. yeah, living, uh, you know, not being killed, uh, by and bears wars and stuff, and too. wars, I guess, bear wars. <laughs> okay, the, so when the bears rose up, you remember, yeah, I remember, yeah, we all, uh, dark times, dark, all right, and difficult times. So, the bear wars, the 18th century really saw this kind of blossoming enlightenment, right. And um, this encyclopedic spirit. Everybody wanted to know everything. You know, you had to be a kind of Renaissance man. Mm-hmm. Um, or person. Person. Renaissance person. Renaissance human. So. Agreed. It was in this century when two of Europe's most outstanding and well-known museums opened. The British Museum in London was opened in 1759. And Doug's Museum of Fine Art. (laughs) Baby did not like that joke. And then the Louvre opened in Paris. Oh, yeah, the Louvre. Yes, that's what I meant. Uh, Originally called Doug's Museum of Fine Art. No. Not a lot of people know that. No. I'm pretty sure. It opened in 1793. Um, So the British Museum was formed as the result of the the government at the time accepting responsibility for preserving and maintaining collections. Um, A lot of these collections were brought together from private collectors, uh, which were preserved also by the, the British law of primogenitor, 
meaning that the firstborn son inherits oh, yeah. everything. So all the collections and the land and the and the you know the wealth of a family is kept together by the firstborn son having the entire thing instead of it being parceled yeah. to all of the children. So the collection is able to grow over time instead of being split into smaller collections when somebody dies. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so there were probably a lot of private museums, right? Where it's like, well, my family's got all this stuff and I don't want to keep it in my house anymore. So I'm, I, I know maybe, that, the, I mean, yes, but they also, but you know, touring homes and, and estates was something that people did at that time also. Yeah. So you, I think at that point, maybe you don't build a separate building. You just make the building you have bigger. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> I've also seen a lot of um, plaques that say like on loan from the such and such collection. It's usually right. a family collection mm-hmm. that they don't donate it. But rather than display it in their private residence, they let a museum display it for them. Right. Um, the same thing happened in France where the Louvre is and they, you know, decided that it was important that royal collections become accessible. Um, it started a little bit by uh, Louis XV, but it, it, the National Convention is something that Napoleon started. Um, Who? N- Napoleon. Mm. And um, basically this was just kind of showing off all the stuff he looted yeah that sounds about right yeah that's not great it's it's not awesome um but at least these things were preserved instead of destroyed yes this is better that yeah you know what considering the fact that a lot of artifacts before that especially if they were made of any kind of valuable gems Mm -hmm. or like uh metals they were melted down or destroyed and right you know, use this currency rather. Yeah. Uh, and then the Congress of Vienna in 1815 uh, instructed that all the looted material was to be eventually returned to its owners. Wait, when? What year? 1815. That seems really forward thinking. Yeah. It didn't. I mean, this was just the stuff at the Louvre. And probably not all of it was returned because if you were still. Uh, part of the collection of the the empire right even if it wasn't france specifically whatever napoleon had at that point i don't ottoman empire think places like that it was still considered french so they didn't give that stuff back yeah (laughs) listen i i'm I'm not like uh give them a medal for being so great but considering the fact that they're still places today that have on display artifacts taken um by force from other lands and like displaying you know what i mean like it's still an issue today so to think that 200 years ago they were like you know what we should give some of this back like that just seems i'm surprised that they were even concerned with that in 1815 um a couple of the first museums in the united states uh one of them was was dedicated in 1773. Uh, the Charleston Library Society of South Carolina announced its intention of forming a museum. Uh, and then another I- early institution, the Peel Museum, was opened in 1786 in Philadelphia. Um, and at that point, uh, the collection that was was housed there rapidly outgrew the space and started. some of the things started being displayed at Independence Hall. So at that 
at that time that was also being used as as a museum space. Cool. I've been there. I've seen Independence Hall, where the movie 1776 took place. Is that right? Nah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> nah, who cares about history? Am I right? Uh, I do. Okay. But I would say that arguably the most famous museum uh, franchise in the United States is the, the Smithsonian. That's right. The Smithsonian. So that there's came, at least four of them. There's a ton more. Five. Um, a ton. Six. No more. 2000. No, not quite 2000. <laughs> okay. Somewhere between four and 2000. So it came into existence through the bequest of nearly a half a million dollars from James Smithson, um. who was an Englishman. Um, and he wanted to establish in the United States a, quote, institution for the increase and diffusion of knowledge among men. Uh, and a comma and a place to put Fonzie's jacket, end quote. <laughs> In 1846, the U.S. Congress accepted the bequest and passed legislation establishing the Smithsonian as an institution charged with representing all objects of art and curious research, including national history, plants, natural history, geological and mineralogical specimens. That was just at the time. It's it's grown a lot more, right? There's like a civil rights museum. Is that Smithsonian? I know it's in the the National Mall in the same area. I think that's Smithsonian. I, but... have, I have a list here that I'll okay. get to. Um, the U.S. National Museum opened in 1858 and was part of the Smithsonian Scientific Program, which formed the first of its many museums, at, like you said, most of which stand along the mall in Washington, D.C. So here's my list of all the Smithsonian's. Uh, 19 museums and galleries uh, and the National Zoological Park, as well as various research facilities. Uh, so this includes, but is not limited to, the Anacosta Community Museum, the Arts and Industries Building, the Cooper Hewitt or Smithsonian Design Museum, the Freer Gallery of Art, the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden, the National Air and Space Museum, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, the National Museum of African Art, National Museum of American History, Natural, National Museum of American Indian, National Museum of Natural History, National Portrait Gallery, National Postal Museum, the Renwick Gallery, the Arthur M. Sacker Gallery, the Smithsonian American Art Museum, and the Smithsonian Institution Building, or, quote, the castle. And the Smithsonian Museum of Travis. No. It's not very big, but it houses everything to do with me. So the total number of objects, works of, of art and specimens at the Smithsonian's... Four. ...is estimated at nearly 154 million. Whoa, really? Uh-huh. That is higher than I would have guessed, because I guessed four. If you haven't been, I, I will say uh, I've only been to D.C. a handful of times, like three or four times, but every time I go... I tried to visit one of the Smithsonian museums at least. Um, one, because I, I really, truly do love museums. Um, but two, they're incredible. Like They are. It's amazing. Uh, it's, the air and space is probably my favorite, but across the board, they're all amazing. The, uh, the one about industry um, is incredible. 
I it's the last time we went, I actually really wanted to go to the uh, National Museum of African American History and Culture, and it was it being renovated. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. open at the time. Oh yeah, that's right. It's it's new, right? It's brand yeah. New. Um, it wasn't open yet, um, but I do look forward to going back and visit that one. I'm trying to think of one I haven't been to. What's the one you said? There's an ant, like a zoo or a animal. The National Zoo. Yeah, I haven't been to that one, um, but I've been to a lot of them. The castle is really, really it's cool. It's really cool. That's where I think I saw Fonzie's jacket and uh, Lincoln's top hat, and I think Elmo. Maybe. Oh, cool. He was just walking around. Um, so the Smithsonian has a very ambitious program of long-term loans and collections of artifacts, um, and it shares its vast collection uh, and pragmatic resources with museums and educational institutions across the country. And there are more than 200 affiliates in nearly every state, including Puerto Rico and Panama. Um, right now, I'm pretty sure that at the Cincinnati, um, oh, what's the, why can't I think of the name of the museum? I think it's just Museum Center, isn't it? Oh, the Museum Center. There's a, a, a on loan from the Smithsonian. It's like a bunch of Star Wars. Costumes uh, yeah, and, the, and co- yeah. stuff. Yeah. I saw a billboard for that. That should be cool. We should go. Yeah, we should go check that out. Um, but that's I think that's a very cool thing that the Smithsonian does. And I'm sure a lot of museums do it, too. That idea of like, hey, we had this collection on display for a while, and now... We understand that not everyone's able to make it to D.C., so we're going to ship it around the world and let other people display. It's just a really cool thing. Uh, they also offer a a large digital collection online that you can take a look at at www.smithsonian.org. Let me ask you a question, Teresa. Uh-huh. What is or some of your favorite museums that you've ever visited? Um, Let's see. I really enjoyed... Actually, the the art museum in Dayton, they have an, an extensive um, impressionist wing, which is my favorite arts. What's I the like, one in New I York like that we paintings. went to? The natural, is it the Natural History Museum in New York, right across from Central Park that like Roosevelt set up? Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Um, I remember going there. Uh, let's see. I think the first time I went was when I was in high school. Um and it was just, it was so huge. And I'm so glad that I've gotten the chance to go a couple more times and explore more every time I've been there. It's not the type of museum that you can really do in one day. Uh, it's it's enormous. And I love all of their, um, their animals, uh, some of which are, uh, are plastic renderings and some of which are not. Um, uh, I really, as mentioned, really love Kosai. Um, but I also I haven't been to Kosai in a very long I time. Know, we need to go, especially now that like we have a kid. Once she's a little bit older, oh, it's perfect. Perfect. Um, I also want to give a special shout out to the Museum of Jurassic Technology in Los Angeles. <laughs> One of the weirdest and best, coolest ex- museum experiences I've ever had. Highly recommend. It's more. It's kind of okay. I would it, I would say it was more of an art installation. It's an art installation posing as a museum, but it is an experience above all else. It'll take you an hour or two hours. It's really cool. Museum of Jurassic Technology. It's very weird and wonderful. I've been probably 10 to 12 times. We used to live right down the street. So we would take everyone who came to, to visit us in L.A. Yes. We would take them to, to that museum. Highly recommend Um, I think that brings out an interesting point where 
we we kind of segregate the idea of a museum of science and an art museum where like a science museum is is regarded as truth or an art museum is in, regarded as uh, interpretation. And I think that there's room for middle ground like the Museum of Jurassic... Jurassic tri- no, Jurassic. You're yes, right. I was right. Yep. <laughs> Technology. Uh, there's there's a kind of middle and they're all they're all valuable. Yeah. I mean, not so much interpreting science. <laughs> like... There's a lot more fact in science than art, but I understand what yeah, you mean. Yeah, that's what you I know. mean. I mean that. Okay. Well, um, are we ready for some questions? We are. Uh, but first, I'm about to thank you know, to some sponsors. All right. So we'd like to give a thank you note to our sp- uh, our sponsor this week, which is Sun Basket. Now, we've talked about Sun Basket before, and it's really great for if you want to eat super healthy and you don't have a lot of time to do like grocery shopping or, you know, Googling of recipes. Um, I mean, I guess we should say, just in case this is like your first time hearing us talk about it, it's a, a meal subscription service. Which we are not strangers to and no, we, we are fans them. of meal um, subscription services and they send you a box with three meals in it um all the ingredients are included i think maybe you might need some salt and pepper that kind and of like thing like olive oil but everything that you need more or less to make it is in there along with instructions step-by-step clearly detailed um instructions on what you need to do so even if you don't consider yourself a cook and you're like, well, I, I don't cook for myself because I don't know what to do. This is as easy as it could be without them just handing you a plate of food. And one of the claim to fames uh, for Sunbasket is they provide organic, non-GMO ingredients um, in a variety of meal plans. So you can choose from paleo or gluten-free or vegetarian or breakfast. And they even have a family option. And that's, I, I just think it's wonderful to have that many options to choose from. And the meals are still delicious. No matter what you pick, they put as much thought into it as they can. We really enjoyed, what did we get? We got a steak salad. Yeah, that steak salad. Ah, that's it's such yummy. a good combination. Steak and vegetables together. Perfect. It's wonderful. Um, And what's the deal that they're offering right now for our listeners, Teresa? So if you go to sunbasket.com slash schmanners today, you can get your first three me- meals free. Uh, So, again, go to sunbasket.com slash S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S for three free meals. One last time, sunbasket.com slash schmanners. Mugs, shirts, stickers, patches, tanks, and more are yours for the purchasing at maxfunstore.com. Hey, you already love the podcasts, so why not take this to the next level and outfit your home and bod with our merch? maxfunstore.com. Because if you have to wear a shirt, it should be one of ours. I like to Hulu and chill. Am I a monster? What's happening on Game of Thrones? What's a technical Emmy? Why did Dominic Toretto go rogue? Is this meme already dead? Nicki Minaj or Remy Ma? For answers to these questions and so much more, come on over to Pop Rocket, a pop culture roundtable discussion that always has a fun, diverse panel talking about the stuff we love. Catch us every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you decide to get your podcast. I'm not going to (laughs) judge. 
Okay, so this first question comes from Sarah. Is it rude to skip around your order when walking through a museum? Uh, I, Sarah put order in quotes. I assume you mean, Sarah, like um, rather than just walking a straight line or following a path, going to one exhibit and then backtracking to another, that kind of thing. Is it is it inconsiderate to the museum? Or is it like with the people you're with? I assume it's the crowd around you. I, I will say, having been to many crowded museums on crowded days, there's a certain flow of traffic mm -hmm. as everybody like, whether you're talking like an art museum or science museum or whatever, but as, as people move from one exhibit to the other, we tend to just kind of flow, you know what I mean? Rather than zigzag back and forth across the room. Well, I wouldn't recommend going against the flow of traffic, but if you wanted to skip a, an exhibit to go to a different one, uh, that may be less crowded. I think that that is just fine. Um, as long as you are not dashing in and out of groups of people. Uh, I think that, hanging back or moving to a, a less popular exhibit is is a great way to get a personalized museum experience. Now, a lot of people did ask also regarding like if you're with a group, because I personally, I move very quickly um, in any circumstance, but in a museum, in a zoo, in an aquarium, whatever, I look at the thing, I register it, and I move on to the next thing. And I also have friends and I know people that want to drink it in and really savor the thing. Is it rude of me to continue on or... It's like, rude of you to do it and not communicate to the rest of your party. If if that is how you uh, enjoy a museum or a zoo, uh, perhaps what you should do is make a meeting time for the rest of the, the family or, or the party or whatever, um, where you say, okay, well, we have kind of different styles, but I want to make sure that we meet up later. So I'll meet you at the canteen at 12. In, instead of the of one one section of the group always feeling rushed and the other section of the group feeling like it's going too slow, if you if you make more of a rendezvous, everybody can enjoy it in the way they want. Emily asked, I like to do sketch studies in art museums a lot, but I always worry that I'll get in the way of other patrons because I have to sit in one place for a while. Is there a best practices sort of thing for something like this? Well, best practice is to sit on whatever benches are provided in the area that you're provided in. Provided it is not secret art. <laughs> provided it's not secret art. Um, but uh, I do recommend that if you if you need to stand in front of a an, an art installation, you stand at least two feet away from it. Um, that way you're not blocking anyone else's view and people can easily get around you. And and I would also advise, especially if you so if you are filling in details rather than like, you know, overview sketching, if you've already got the bones of it down, maybe step off to the side instead of standing directly in front of the piece um, so that other people can stand directly in front of the piece if they want to. Um, Absolutely. This question is from Corinne. Is there phone etiquette for museums? There certainly is. Um, first of all, I would I would suggest that you visit the website of the museum you are uh, thinking of attending to see what their specific um, 
photography rules are regarding phones and also uh, conversation rules. There, I saw some uh, do's and don'ts online of museums that encourage people to Instagram and Facebook and tweet about their experience. They want you to take photos and share it with people so that other can others can uh, enjoy your experience and hopefully come and experience it themselves. And there are some museums that absolutely don't allow cell phones. They don't allow you speaking on phones or texting, um, let alone taking photography. So you should you should really visit the the website or talk to um, a curator or a staff member about what their policy is. I would also say that just in general, I'm of the opinion in regards to phone etiquette that anytime you are in public, be judicious about what conversations you engage in. Man, I think it's one thing, if there's no rules against cell phone, I think it's one thing to answer a call real quick and go, oh, hey, yeah, home about noon. Okay, but like if you answer a phone call to get in a fight with your roommate, maybe excuse yourself to a more private area rather than just standing in the middle of a room full of people. Yeah, try and remember that a lot of these, uh, that a lot of museum-like places, people tend to talk in, quote, inside voices or, or hushed voices. Um, also, the rooms are quite cavernous in some places. So what you think might be a uh, an appropriate level to talk on the phone is is echoing and amplified through the rest of the museum um so i would say when in doubt go back to the lobby uh especially if you don't leave the lobby like the outside doors most staff members if there's any kind of fee will recognize that you've already paid yeah. um so you, you shouldn't have to to pay to or, re-enter or like a side hallway where bathrooms are or something something, like that. something yeah. that's just I, I I personally don't think it's cool to have any kind of lengthy, loud phone conversation in public. Really but, ever. You yeah. don't like talking on the phone. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> phone ever. But I mean, like, okay, cool. If you're settling in for like a long chat with, you know, your cousin that you haven't talked to in two years, maybe say, hey, I'm at the museum right now. Can I call you back? Right. Um, and I would also say, as far as the photo thing go, if you don't see anything posted one way or the other, I think in a museum, assume no photos. You know what I mean? I, I, usually I would say, unless you see against it, assume it's okay. But I would say in a museum, I think it's safe to assume that unless they're like, we encourage you to, it's probably safer to assume not to. And absolutely no flash photography. Oh, yes. Um, the flashes is hard on a lot of those those old works of art. Um, and if you are allowed to photograph... That's also, side note, oh. that's also true when going through like a historical building mm-hmm. or like uh, anytime you tour an older building or an old theater or whatever. Flash photography, it's... And I don't know if this is true with like flashes in phones or I mean even with like modern DSLR cameras, but I know that I've been told many times by people leading tours that... Flashes is bad for that. I, I well, that might is, just be an excuse for people not to take photos. I don't know. Well, the bright light over time degrades things. Um, so it's not it's not just about your flash. It's about all the flashes of everyone coming through. Um, this question is from Sam. How close is too close to the art of exhibits? I know sometimes it's very clearly indicated, but for paintings, I worry about how close I can get to see detail. 
and Sam does clarify, clearly, I do not want to touch unless indicated to do so, which, yes. Good on you. Yes, Sam. Um, Like I said, two feet. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty generous bubble of, of personal space between you and the paintings, if that's what you're looking at, or sculptures or whatever. Um, but I would in general say that the bigger the work of art, the further away you should actually be to view it because um, you wouldn't want to, to get so close to a painting to see a detail so that you couldn't see the artist's full potential of, of the whole painting. So the bigger the painting, the further away, but about two feet is about right. I mean, unless, you know, there are lines marked on the floor or barriers or things like that. Um, Desiree asks, is it schmannerly to bring my baby to an art museum? Um, I think that if your baby is chill, sure. Go ahead and bring them. Um, but do remember what I said about kind of the, the cavernous nature of a lot of museums and the hushed atmosphere that a lot of museums adopt. Um, and be prepared that if the baby is is loud or disruptive, you may feel uncomfortable. And I, I don't know if you'll be asked to leave. Different uh, museums have different rules regarding children. So check out the websites. Um and and you know just try and keep them chill i two things one as a new baby owner um my mo is my thought process is usually i think it's cool unless it's super loud in a way that might be dangerous for the baby or someplace that would be dangerous for a baby i think it's okay to bring your baby anywhere as long as you're ready to pull the ripcord should it become a meltdown situation you know what i mean like I I wouldn't see anything against walking a stroller around in an art museum, uh, at least if it was big enough to accommodate rolling a stroller through it. Um, but if she starts to melt down, and I've only been there for ten minutes, it's time for us to go. You know, um, that's the that's the risk you run. The other side of that is I actually think it's not having any kids older than a baby yet. I imagine that there's also a window of time in which it is. Uh, like baby is okay, but probably like a slightly older child who's not quite old enough to appreciate the works of art may be a little tougher um, because I don't know, how, especially in like a fine art, like straight up fine art museum, mm-hmm. how much stimuli there is for like a three-year-old. Um, but as I said, I don't have personal experience with that, so I can't speak to it. I do know that uh, I remember when I was younger, probably about four or five my parents didn't take us anywhere because we could not behave. Well, you were monsters, <laughs> and that's fine. Um, <laughs> this question is from Jenna. Is there a polite way to encourage someone to move on from a particular piece slash exhibit when they're blocking it and have already been viewing it for a couple of minutes? Um, to encourage someone to move on? If they're not with your party, I don't know how much you could really say other than, excuse me, would you mind stepping aside so I can see the painting or, or something think, like I, that? Yeah, I think maybe something along the lines of like, see, would you mind if I squeezed in and got a look? Like if they've been standing there for a reasonable, you know, or an unreasonable, whatever, a significant enough amount of time that it's like, yeah, okay, one, two, three, you're done. You know, like the water fountain. Um, but 
I guess it really depends on how crowded the area is and, you know, all that stuff. But I think, I think most of the time, okay, here's my theory on this. This is okay. my feeling on this. I love these theories. I think a lot of the time people, um, someone will be looking, and especially if they're lost in the moment, looking at a piece of art and really considering it. They are not thinking, they don't know you're standing behind them waiting. Like, they don't have the spatial awareness because they're looking straight at a piece of art. They don't know you're back there. But you know you're back there. And you are wondering why they haven't moved to let you step up. And it's because they don't know you're there. And if you just, like, make yourself known in some way, they will probably move on their own. Um, A throat clear or just kind of stepping up closer to the piece, they'll move. But, like... You can't expect everybody to, at every moment, be thinking about whether or not there's somebody waiting. They should be. That would be great. But that's just not how it works. So I think um, you don't necessarily have to be like, hey, move along, pal. <laughs> so much as I think just make your presence known and that'll probably be enough. And if you are if you are the type of person that tends to linger over art, there's nothing that says you can't step back for a few minutes, let people go through, and then take another turn. Yeah. And move around the room, come back to it, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, Vicky asks, what is normal protocol for backpacks in museums? Do they always need to be turned around backwards, only around paintings? This, As somebody who often shreks around and knocks stuff over, and, like, I, I totally get this. Anytime I'm in somewhere where there's, like, sculptures or anything in, like, the middle of the room and not just along the walls... I get very self-conscious that I'm going to bump into something and having a backpack on just increases that chance for me. You know, I, I get this concern. Um, I think turning it around is a really good idea, but a lot of museums and, um, and art institutions have checked bag rules. At least they have a coat room. Um, where they're more than happy to hold on to your larger items. And I think that if you have those large items, you're more likely to zoom through someplace instead of really taking your time and appreciating because you have something heavy with you. So why not take advantage of uh, of coat check? Yeah, but I think turning around and also just keeping that in mind when you're headed to the place, like should I take my backpack or like a messenger bag that hangs at my side instead of sits in my back? Right. You know. Um, this question, let's see, which one? Oh, they're all so good. Oh, this one's from Anna. Art museums with pay-what-you-can entry fees. What should you pay? Are you obligated to make a donation if you can't really afford it, or is a small amount still acceptable? A small amount is still acceptable. Here's the thing to think about. At least in my experience, whenever there's like somebody asking for donations, if everybody gave a dollar, they would probably have more than enough you know what I mean? Like, that's the way I think about it is any amount is okay. And feeling like, well, I only have a dollar. That's not enough. Like, that's something that's still yeah. better. Absolutely. Um, I would encourage, you know, if you usually go to a movie and instead you're going to a museum, use the money that you would have spent at the movie. I also think that art and the ability to view it should be available to all. And I have been in tight straits and I have been walking around a city and found a museum with no cash in my pocket. 
If you don't have a dollar to give, I don't think you should feel bad. I think that pay what you can means exactly that. And if you can't pay it, then that's what you can pay. And you should still get to enjoy the art. So I think that pay what you can means literally that. And that's as much pressure as you should feel. If you can spare a dollar, great. If you can spare $20, great. If you can't spare anything, understandable. Enjoy. Don't feel guilty. Um, this question is from Jen. Is there a dress code? And does it vary based on type of museum? I tend to dress nice, but never can tell. Um, if you're concerned about a certain dress code for a museum, I would encourage you to take a look at their website. And if they suggest certain attire then that's what you should wear. Other than that, I would recommend that you dress um, appropriately for indoor weather. So air conditioning. Yeah. So probably, you know, um, layers is a good idea. Also, I would suggest closed toed shoes um, because not only is it easier to, to navigate, it's also night better on your feet. And you don't have to worry about people, especially in crowds. Stepping, stepping on, on your feet is me. I mean, that's the thing, especially if we're talking about someplace like the Natural History Museum in New York. It's gigantic. And exactly. if you're going to be spending the day there, comfortable shoes. As far as it goes, though, I don't, I guess I've never considered museums to be a formal affair. I think if you want to dress nice, sure, go for it. If that heightens your experience. But for me, I don't see anything wrong with like shorts and T-shirt, you know, like or dressing whatever you're wearing when you go there. As long as you're comfortable walking around. I mean, I guess I, you could maybe say something about you don't want to be more distracting than the art itself, but that seems like it would be a shamey thing. And I would suggest uh, practicality in your clothes, uh, nothing that sticks out too far from yourself, because especially if there's... No huge been, shoulder pads. No, yeah. <laughs> or, Leave your football pads off. Uh, or, you know, long dresses that drag the ground. Uh, things like that, because there's going to be foot traffic and you I wouldn't want a dress that had a train or whatever to get stepped on. Yeah. Um, other than that, you do you. I'm not. Yeah. Wear whatever you want. Practical and comfortable, I think, is a great idea. Yeah. Other than that, don't worry about it. You're great. Enjoy the art. Hey, enjoy the art. One art, please. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Oh, okay. I like this. We talked a little bit about pictures. Mm -hmm. Casey asked on Twitter, can I take pictures of famous paintings while people are around it? I'll never get a clear view, but I hate taking unauthorized candidates. This is such a good question because if you're in a museum where there is no ban on photos and you're like, ooh, the Mona Lisa, but there's like eight people in a semicircle around it, people are going to show up in your photos. And that feels weird taking pictures of people like without their consent. But people are never not going to be looking at that piece of art. If it's for uh, for private reminiscing, I'm sure that if if a tourist or something is in your photo, then go ahead and feel free to take it. If you're going to post it on the internet, uh, do your best to crop those people or out. Blur, or blur, blur face them. or censor. Um, yeah, you never know who's in witness relocation or exactly. on the run. You know. But or the, taking a day off from work and <laughs> pretending to be sick. The odds that you're going to be able to get everybody out of the picture of the Mona Lisa are very slim. So uh, just just do the best that you can and try and be you know sensitive when you post those online. I would say, though, if you were using for any kind of professional thing of like, 
I don't know. I'm trying to think if it was like for, I don't know, a book you're writing or something along those lines. You probably might need release forms signed for that or say to them like, hey, I, I'm taking a picture. Um, If you remain in this picture, you will be used something. But I, yeah, I think for candid. Same like you would for a newspaper or yeah, something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Amy asks, when you are on a guided tour with a docent, is it appropriate to ask questions throughout? Um, I think that if you have maybe one or two questions, that's great. That's fine. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that you you quiz them about every single piece. Be judicious about your, your questions, um, unless they have asked that you hold all questions till the end, and then you should do what they asked. But other than that, go ahead, go ahead and ask a few things that are, you know, intelligent and inquisitive, and I'm sure that they'll be more than happy to answer it. Here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> Most of the time with these tours, they have done these a hundred times that day. They have got their pattern down. You move from room to room in this room, such and such and such and such and such, right? And then they finish in that room to give you a chance to look around. I think that's the time for questions of like when it's like, and that's everything I have to say about this room. Feel free to look around. I think that's where you have your questions. I think um, unless indi unless indicated otherwise, where they're like, if you have any questions, just raise your hand at any time. Cool, go for go to town. But otherwise, I think let them finish their spiel for that room before you ask any questions, because chances are they might answer your question two sentences later. Right, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, and other than that, you know, I'm often the person, Amy, who's like the one person in a group of 20 people who keeps asking questions, there is never anything wrong with that. Never be embarrassed to ask questions. If everybody else isn't asking questions, they are doing it wrong. You go to a museum to learn, to experience, to grow, not to sit there and get out of it as quickly as possible. So ask questions. If you have questions, don't feel bad about asking questions ever. You're great. <laughs> I... I would caveat that and say, make sure that the questions are meaningful to you. Yeah, yeah, Ask, definitely. Asking, don't, just, don't just like, uh, what color is this paint? No. <laughs> okay, cool. Asking, asking questions just to talk, to have, you know, have the sound of your, the voices going isn't, isn't useful. I want to say. Yeah, I guess that's true. Don't ask questions just to fill time with questions. Um, but if you have questions, exactly, ask away. Um, and that said, too, if you're like, I have 20 questions, maybe like catalog them in your brain, and at the end of the tour, be like, Hey, I was just wondering, the, the, in the you know what I mean, like mm -hmm. one on one with the person, maybe a better time rather than like stopping everyone from getting a chance to look around in that room because of your 20 questions. But don't ever be afraid to ask them. Just choosing the time when to ask them might be the way to go. You know, um, so I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, BB, for joining us. Yeah. OK. She had a great time. She <laughs> learned a lot. Um, let's see. Oh, I. so my brothers and I have started a new podcast. We're calling it our Prestige Podcast um, called The McElroy Brothers Will Be in Trolls 2. 
Now, let me be clear right up front. This is not safe for work. <laughs> there is both language and um, some uh, references to things that uh, we wouldn't talk about here on Schmanners. Um, so just keep that in mind. But it is our comedy podcast about our um, journey to convincing DreamWorks to put us into troll the movie Trolls 2. Uh, it's up on iTunes now. You can go check it out. The McElroy Brothers will be in Trolls 2. Uh, I also want to say thank you uh, to everybody who's gone on iTunes, rated, reviewed, and subscribed. Um, thank you to everybody who follows us on Twitter, um, is in the Facebook group. Um, and go check out all the other amazing MaximumFun.org shows. There's a ton on there that you're going to love. I love all of them. Uh, Rose Buddy says, you know, they're two weeks into a new season of The Bachelorette. And I tell you what, and I'm not just saying this, it's my favorite podcast and their ability to grow and evolve over time. And like, it just keeps getting better and better is what I'm trying to say. I'm a big fan of Rose Buddies. I love it. Um, and I know Teresa's a big fan of Sawbones and we love Still Buffering and Ono Ross and Carrie and One Bad Mother. And I love Can I Pet Your Dog? Oh, there's so many good shows on MaximumFun.org. Go check it out. Um... I don't know. Thanks for listening. You're all great. <laughs> uh, did you thank Brent? I haven't yet. Thank you to Brent Brentofloss Black for the uh, for writing our theme music, and that's available as a ringtone where those are sold. Also, thank you to Kayla M. Wassel uh, for our banner and thumbnail art. And I'd also like to extend a thank you to Keely Weiss of Keely Weiss Photography. She took some excellent photos of us at a tea service, a little vintage setting. Uh, uh, that we need we to will post be, that. We'll post that in the Facebook. That group. we'll be posting shortly. They're they're lovely. Um, check out her portfolio on her website um if you you're so inclined to get your picture taken she's great what is her website it is keelyweissphotography.com k-e-e-l-y-w-e-i-s photography.com and i mean it, it probably would be helpful if you were here in the ohio area but yes she she is a whole, an Ohio-based photographer. Uh, and I think that's going to do it for us this week. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.